Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Chelsea too, and it got about as ugly as it. Well, it didn't get as ugly as it could get. We've seen how that looked, uh, but it was pretty ugly nonetheless. I am joined by my two regular co-hosts this week, coming to us from the wilds of uh, COVID isolation in Miami, Florida. Is Brian Ashlock? Brian, how are you today? It's a little weird that you're podcasting in a mask, but I appreciate the gesture. Look, you know, I just I don't understand how viruses work, so I wanted to make sure that I could. <laughs> protect both you guys and my microphone um, from any potential infection. Well, we appreciate the uh, and we hope you and your uh, wife feel better soon. Uh, coming to us Thank from you. the uh, backwoods of Atlanta, Georgia, it is Ben Daniels. Ben, how how are you holding up in your infection-free zone this week? Yeah, yeah good. No COVID here, so COVID's over is what I heard, so I'm fine. <laughs> Monkeypox now. That's what I was led to believe about Florida as well, but uh, lies have been told to me. <laughs> are we are we are we gunning for another uh, for another fascist review on our iTunes account, boys? I mean, it wouldn't be Wheel of Deal the Radio without one. The the, the vanguard of Proletariat and Tottenham Hotspur. So, yes, uh, we are here to talk about a very a very tasty tasty affair at Stamford Bridge this week. Uh, we, we talk a lot about Spurs fans, or at least I've seen a lot of Spurs fans, particularly American Spurs fans, talk about who they hate more, Chelsea or Arsenal. Uh, I don't think that debate is really relevant to this game, but I do think what is, I think is undeniably true is I think Spurs-Chelsea is, regardless of what you think about the rivalry, is the spicier fixture uh, of the two. Like I mean, this is con- just constantly fireworks. Everyone's angry. Like, like Chelsea fans seem to revel in the Schadenfreude when they win, and I, I don't know. It, I think it is one of the more heated fixtures in the Premier League. I certainly think that it is the nastiest fixture on our calendar every year. I mean, maybe I'm just saying that in the aftermath of this game, which I think is injected a little bit more into it. But I think, especially after last season, this is this has become just a very dirty, ugly, nasty fixture, and this game lived up to all of those things in every conceivable way. Yeah, I mean, things do pop off with Arsenal. We've had, you know, the Lamella Jack Wilshere uh, incident comes to mind. And, you know, it's not like it's a tame fixture by any means, but they're generally a pretty soft touch, whereas Chelsea is full of bastards and so are Spurs. And I think, yeah, we just (laughs) bring out the worst in each other. It's great. Yeah, and I mean, we managed to be bastards in a in a largely clean within the rules type of way that the Chelsea really just hasn't figured out yet. I mean, you know, we got zero yellow cards. Um, you know, uh, Romero committed zero fouls. I was gonna say, Christian um, Romero, clean as a whistle. Nothing, 
nothing to complain about there. <laughs> yeah, and 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 honestly, um, you know, we didn't receive a single card until after the game, and even then it was our manager. So, I mean, really, our players are angels in this circumstance. And even Conte was innocent, really. Well, like, think about it. Think about it. Hoberts, association. Hoberts didn't get it until after he went after um, Romero, you know. I mean, Romero's just defending himself, and Conte is an innocent bystander who is being accosted by Slenderman. It's, you know, I mean, I think he had a natural reaction that none of us can argue with. Yeah, I mean, when you get attacked with one of those joke buzzers from the 1970s, what else are you supposed to do? What, what I think is really incredible, what, what, one thing I, I guess we've seen this in a lot of fixtures, but this game really crystallized it for me, is, you know, we always talk about, especially with, like, center backs or defensive midfielders, how, like, oh, they get a nasty foul on them, and they sort of go headhunting later on to pay them back. Like I, like, I know that happens a lot, but I don't feel like anybody quite goes headhunting in the way that Christian Romero does. I mean... He gets bowled over by Havertz, immediately confronts him, and then, like, the second he has the opportunity to just clean him out in a way that he is not going to get penalized for, he takes it. I mean, the way he went after that ball, and then the specific way that he is just going to, like, put Havertz out of the game was, honestly, the shithousery is incredible. Yeah, I mean, he he keeps the list and checks it twice, and he is not going to forget. And, like, it seems like he is remembering incidents from past matches and like goes into the game with a list of wrongs that he has to write and then just new ones pop up and he's like, all right, well, I got to take care of business. But the way they don't even have to be wrongs against him. They can be wrongs against, you know, somebody filed Harry Kane a little bit hard and he's going to go and white knight around and, and solve that problem as well. And laugh in someone's face when, after we score, uh, I, I think what impresses me the most about him, you know, I think another discussion you see among Spurs fans is, like, is he lucky that he doesn't get booked, or is he just, like, incredibly calculating? And I think you look at that foul that he had on Havertz. I mean, it wasn't a foul, because as we talked about, he had no fouls in this game. But, like, he very clearly is looking for an opportunity to, like, how can I, like, wreck him without getting, you know, while making it look like part of the game. And he sees, oh, i got to clear this ball out of here. And in the meantime, I'm going to go through both of his shins with, as hard as I can. It's, you know, it's like what he did with Charleston last year. It's, it's really impressive stuff. And, I mean, he, he more than probably anyone on our team is going to benefit from the refs now, like, raising the standard for what is and isn't a foul in order to keep the game moving. Uh, you know, like, he's just going to get away with, you know, kicks at the ankle, like a, a, a questionable challenge here or there. He's just going to get away with more. Well, especially and, if it's on, like, you know, little neo-fascist, like, Havertz with his new hair, with his new SS haircut. I mean, you know, you know little shits like that he's always going to get away with it on. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think referees in England might kind of sympathize with Kai Havertz, so I'm Fair not enough. really 100% Fair enough. Um, but, but, uh, but, yeah, generally speaking, I think you're right. Um... Yeah, and it's just, you know, that there's going to be so much more shithousery in rivalry games now. And this was kind of the first big derby match of the season. And it's going to be interesting to see going forward if these types of games get refereed different 
than your just standard Premier League fixture. Because I mean, look, if this if this is how you know a Merseyside derby goes, if this is how um, you know uh, Spurs West Ham or Spurs Arsenal is officiated, it's gonna get problematic pretty quickly. Well, I think it is a little curious, you know, I mean, we all make our jokes here, and it's, we're a little bit able to make those jokes because we got a result we're happy with, but, you know, I'm kind of amazed that referees don't have this match circled on their calendar. <laughs> I mean, you know, given the history of this match, given the players involved in this match, it's, it's a little surprising they would let stuff ride in the way that they did, because, I mean, we, we know these two teams, these players on these teams, have a history of really not liking each other, and you know, doing things awfully dirty to one another, and they really let it ride. I mean, I was, at the, maybe I shouldn't have been, I was shocked when when James got a yellow card for horse tackling son. I, I, I honestly was shocked that he got a yellow card for that, the way the game had been going at that I point. mean, it was so blatant. It, it was incredibly blatant. I'm not implying but, that he was being subtle or anything. No, I mean, it's just like, you know, you have this directive to, like, let fouls go a little bit to keep the game moving, like Brian said. And, like, in a vacuum with each individual foul, it makes sense. But, like, there was clearly no thought into how not, you know, imposing a referee's control on the match from the beginning might escalate over 90 minutes between two teams that absolutely hate each other. And, like, we saw it just get more and more violent. and. Well- if, How are they going to deal with this going forward is going to be a real question. If I'm a referee, and I I want to be very clear, I've never refereed a match at any level, so I might be just talking Barely about... understand the rules of exactly. soccer. Exactly. No, but I, I've watched enough sports, let alone soccer in my life, where like, if I was refereeing a Spurs-Chelsea match, I would be... like If I was that referee, I would be just looking for an opportunity to impose myself on the match early on, and just sort of set some ground rules for everyone. Like, you're not getting away with certain things today. And they're clearly just like, oh, Christian Romero, you're going to, like, pull out an ice pick and, you know, try to kill Kai Havertz in, like, the first two minutes. Like, he just isn't, like, I would, I, I just, if I was a referee in a match like this that has a reputation, I would want to impose myself early and often just to make it clear that certain things aren't, aren't going to be permitted. But they're just like, you know, it's just like, oh, how could we know Spurs-Chelsea would turn into a bloodbath? Like, yeah, who could have guessed? I do wonder for Romero specifically, like he is so far seems to have escaped getting that like kind of reputation as like, you know, a piece of shit that he is. Um, You know, we see a lot of defenders and guys you talk about, like who are like get away with the dark arts and are like really good at that. And like, he's clearly skilled at getting away with shit, but like the hair pull was so egregious and became such a subject of conversation. I wonder if he's going to have a tougher time. Uh, at least in the coming weeks, he's going to have to cool off a little bit. I think it helps that he's a player who can play a bit, and so I think it helps to like deflect some of that reputation. But yeah, it's kind of amazing he doesn't have more of them at this point, Brian. Oh no, are you muted, Brian? Damn it! Um, Speaking of getting a reputation, yeah, I you know my yellow own... card for Brian. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think Greg's right. I think you know if he were more of a plotter or if he was just a guy who lumped it long all the time, like then yeah, he would have a reputation as someone who kicks people and pulls hair. But like because he's somewhat more dynamic than that, like he is, uh, uh, he, he he can be a cultured center back who does a lot of cool things, but is also hey maybe just a little violent. 
I think it's also to just zoom back out for a second. It's interesting how much the refereeing and the violence has really swallowed the narrative of the game. It's all everybody is talking about. And like when it comes down to it, neither of our goals were like meaningfully created by fouls. You know, they're just things that might have been called and might have changed what, you know, when a butterfly flaps its wings sort of way. But like none of them were like an immediate lead up to the goal. It's not like he pulled Kukurea down while Kane was going for the header for the equalizer at the end. It was just. Well, you'd think that. They Listen to some of the commentary. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess the. The counterpoint to that is, if they call the the foul by Romero on Cucurella, then that second corner doesn't happen. And you know, if they call the foul on Bentoncourt, then you know that that counterattack doesn't happen. And I, I mean, I think I think the 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 Bentoncourt one is much further removed from the play in terms of phase of play that it doesn't make sense for it to have been called back. But certainly, you know. If I'm from a neutral perspective, I can see how you would think that those two calls were sort of directly involved in those goals. Um, from a Spurs fan's perspective, fuck them, I don't care. Well, like, Even from another neutral's perspective, you know, if Kulishevsky, they, like, they, they were mugging Kulishevsky t- like twice in two minutes, and they should have been called for a foul. Right in a direct lead up to James's goal, but, you know, they didn't. But, you know, like, how far back do you want to take this? Like, you know, the formation of Chelsea FC. Like, yeah, that's a foul. Why are we penalizing that? It's it's like... Yeah, and, and I mean, in a way, you know, being able to focus on the violence and, you know, the Conte, Tuchel, shenanigans, like, that has given us as Spurs fans something to enjoy talking about because I think largely the actual performance in the game was pretty bad. Um, and I don't know if we want to talk about that right now or if we want to talk about Conte and uh, the handshake situation or... <laughs> well, <let's, laughs> I, think, I think that's an interesting point, Brian, because this is the kind of game where I think any sort of analysis is... I think the kindest thing you can say about the way Spurs played on that day is, in terms of the actual play, like we'll get to some of the intangibles in a minute, is they defended well. I think Chelsea did not create a lot. I think that has a little bit to do with way I think Chelsea sacrificed. I mean, it's a mix of I don't think Chelsea has that player, and also they sacrificed the man up top to sort of contain Spurs a little bit. So that's that's one reason they weren't creating chances. But also, I think Spurs defended well. There's a reason that but, but, I think there's a reason this, the XG was largely even for this game, and I think they do deserve credit for that. But we did get we got way out we got outplayed in a way I didn't think was going to happen. Um, you know, I thought I thought we would lose, but I thought Chelsea would just sort of steal it from us. Um, but the narrative is so different from that. I think we all feel that. I think even though it's tactically minded Spurs fan, which God knows we can be a miserable bunch on here and in our writers' room and pick this team apart, but I think we all feel great about it because of the narrative that surrounds, um, you know, Conte and what we saw on the pitch that day, and you know, frankly, the shit housing of our players. But the fact that you know, like. What Spurs fan's heart isn't going to, like, melt a little bit watching our manager, like, scream in the face of the entire Chelsea bench or get into a fight with the Chelsea manager after you score a last-minute equalizer? Like, 
I don't know. It's there's a lot of people talking about like is Conte going to buy into Spurs last year? I think we are past that now. I think we are. I think we are all one happy family at this point. Well, maybe an unhappy family, but not about each other. So. Yeah, I mean, I think you know Conte definitely got badly outtacked by Tuchel for most of the game, but having his players fight the way that they did and Conte at the end of the match, you know, mirror that <laughs> that fight. Um, and his beef with Tuchel is just like there's a level of of togetherness and solidarity and you know just just bottle that this team has you know notoriously not had for many many years um, and like if they come out of this game not focused on the ways that like you know Conte knows you know why we got outplayed but if the player players leave this match just feeling good as like guys who had each other's back and fucked some shit up and got that point like that's as good an outcome from this match as, as three points well, I think going forward Ben is a fairly miserable Spurs fan I think you would agree with me here that um you know I think a lot of times we have a result like this and as a fan at least you don't feel too good about it. even against a good team like just on paper you know it's kind of like god we really stole that point you don't feel great but like this is a match where like I think as a fan as a player as a team like you know you got to be realistic about what you need to take out of the Moving forward, okay, what kind of you know, what did Tuchel do to us? We didn't play all that great, we kind of got lucky. But, like, I hope that Conte got a round of applause in that rock locker room when he came back. I mean, I feel fantastic about this match. Now, some of that's because it's a hard fixture, and then we got anything out as a miracle, and I kind of don't give a shit how it happens. But even putting that aside, I think we've seen, like, I mean, think about City under Nuno last year, like, that was a good result, but it wasn't a good game, and there was a lot to be concerned about. and you know, I think on this podcast, if I remember correctly, there's a lot of us trying to talk ourselves into things. I don't feel like that's the case here, because I feel like, I don't know, I'm skeptical of moral victories, but this feels like a real moral victory in terms of, like, how we responded, which is generally something I kind of, like, turn my nose up at. But I think it's real in this case, especially given this fixture's history. And, frankly, just how everyone acted. Like, like I don't know if Carlson. Richarlson, sorry, uh, did anything, like, super great on the pitch. I think he did help the attack a little bit. But, like, frankly, I'm just happy to see him there, like, trying to get Tuchel a red card at the end of the match. That makes that is a more to endear me to Richarlson than any goal he could have scored. Well, not any goal he could have scored today. But, you know, it did a lot to endear Richarlson to me. Yeah, I mean, he was out there and he was up for it. And you can't ask for much more. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think... You know, as, as I mentioned last week, that we were on our, our revenge tour, exercising all the demons from the melodramatic Conte era when everything was, like, falling off the rails. I think this is about as good a revenge on Chelsea. Uh, we if it was a winner, it's the only tour. way it could have been better. Yeah, we never win at Stamford Bridge, you know. Like, I would have, of course, liked to just, like, beat the pants off of them. But failing that, I feel like we have mission accomplished the Chelsea revenge and <laughs> on to the next one. And you know what? I gotta say, isn't it? Wouldn't it be better if Chelsea and Spurs were fighting for the title instead of like Liverpool and City like stroking each other's chins in the gentlemen's club, like talking about how great it is that they passed the ball fifty times, and isn't Darwin Nunez's hair great? Like you know, this is so much like two teams who genuinely fucking hate each other is so much better than this like appreciating each other bullshit Liverpool and City have. A rivalry should feel like a fucking rivalry. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like, 
that is like one of the greater evils I think Pep and Klopp have perpetrated. Aside from just their insufferable everything about them, just like fucking nice guy bullshit. Like, say what you all about Jose Mourinho. Like, he knew how to like fucking get under the skin of the person he was battling for a title with, and that's, especially that's good. Klopp gets angry at any team that doesn't roll over for him, and he's like buying cigars for Pep. Like, what? Anyway, we don't need to talk about City and Liverpool, but I, I'm just saying. I think there is something, and I'm only saying this probably because we it feels like we came in a little bit on top this time. There is something nice about a just you know a hate derby at the top of the Premier League, and you know like like I was saying when we opened the show, like I I, I think at the end of the day Arsenal is still our biggest rival, obviously, but because Chelsea have been on top, because there's such a loathsome club full of loathsome players and loathsome people, there is a bit of like edge to this rivalry in these games that honestly it makes it miserable when you don't win but god when you get one over on them it's so fucking satisfying yeah I mean the downside is that Ryan Mason has to manage our next match but you know um, whatever I I suppose it could be worse we're just going to wonder why he's listening to his iPad why he's got ear pods in the whole time you know he's just we're just gonna wonder what's going I, I on. I don't there. think anyone will be wondering. If, <laughs> if, if that's what's happening, I think we'll all know what's going on. All I know is I'm happy to see Harry Winks one last time. Start <laughs> wow. Do you think Ryan Mason would be that brave? <laughs> not, if he, not if he wasn't at a job. <laughs> unless he's got a job lined up. Like, oh, hey, uh, Antonio, since you're not gonna be here, I thought maybe we could just. Uh, I I would like to start Harry Winks. And you just like immediately throw him out of a window. Like, that, that was... It's gonna learn what Omerta means. Um, is this so? You guys have been around longer than me. How does this compare to? How's the Conde Tuchel uh, clash compared to another famous Spurs manager trying to beat up a nerd in Martin Yole and Arsene Wenger? How does it, how does this compare to that? This is way better. Really? Um, the Yole Wenger thing just never. It didn't feel like it was ever going to go beyond that moment. Because, you know, Yol is, for all intents and purposes, like, very, like, avuncular and kind of like a, a, a nice guy, you know? And um, Conte is a literal psychopath um, who, who could and probably has committed murder. Um, so, you know, I, I think this one was much more compelling for me because I was like, oh, this could actually be interesting. Whereas, like, Yol just squaring up to Wenger slightly was just like, okay, yeah, posture a little bit. That's cool. And and, and this felt like more than posturing because, because also there's so much more at stake now than under the Yol Spurs. Like, we were just, like, Arsenal's little brother trying to, you know, get up to their level at that point. Now, Spurs-Chelsea is, like, who who's the next best team in the Premier League? Who's who's going to get third? Like, like, this feud, for lack of a better term, felt like it had stakes. Like, nothing actually happened in, like, Wenger Yol. Like, he just, like, got in his face a little bit and yelled and, like, that, that that was it. There was no like physical altercation. Like there was a moment there where you thought somebody might throw a punch or a headbutt or something, and 
it's a shame that it didn't happen, but it's probably for the best that it didn't happen. We wouldn't want Conte suspended for like twelve matches. Well, for... I think we all agree Conte would have won that fight, right? Not not Thomas Tuchel with his little like weedy legs. I mean, Tuchel apparently has a very strong grip, so maybe he has a lot of like weird arm strength. I mean, he was flexing his biceps in the press conference. Maybe he's very strong. I don't know, but I feel like Conte would have like broken him in half. So, Tuchel's a nerd. Conte's a jock. End of story. Like he would fucking put him in a toilet. (laughs) Like I know Tuchel is technically a former footballer, but like he's not really. We all saw him running down the sidelines. We all saw we all saw what those legs look like running down the sidelines. Like we know. Yeah, I read that like he had to retire from like his like low level football career at twenty five because of like chronic knee problems. You know Conte had already scouted that out and was prepared <laughs> to target that weak knee in the in the event it actually came to it. He's a man who does his homework. I do. Before we move on from this, uh, the Conte Tuchel fight, I want to uh, thank the approximately fifteen million uh, Twitter users who set the fight between them to my way from the classic rock. Uh, Stone Cold promo video from WrestleMania 17. I really appreciate how 15 million people all had the same idea at once. So I enjoyed each and every one of those tweets. Moving on to the match itself, like I said, I mean, we'll talk sort of about how it went, but I don't think any of us are unhappy with how it all turned out. Like, I mean, even though we definitely got away with one, I mean... You know, it's good result, lousy performances. But it's like I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm talking myself into something. But like, it's Stanford Bridge. It's a way. Like, I'd like to see us play better. But like, I'll take it. There's a lot of like Miguel Delaney. A few other journalists wrote about how like, okay, like Chelsea outplayed us, but Spurs actually showed some guile and resilience and came away with a point. It's total reversal of how these matches usually go. I would argue we usually don't come away with points or Chelsea don't steal things off of us quite like that, but generally Chelsea is the cynical candy team and we're not, and I do think, I don't know, I think there is something to take away from this, even if I am maybe it's just because I don't think most teams can duplicate what Tuchel does tactically against us. Um, Maybe I'm being naive about that, but I am generally happy with this performance, well, with the result, not the performance. Yeah, I... Yeah, the result's fine. I guess the the problems with the performance are you had, I don't know, seven outfield players, eight outfield players that didn't play even an average game. And then I, I think my biggest problem with it is Conte seems to still be getting out-tacticked. And, you know, we had that three match run against Chelsea last year where we got out tacticed and it doesn't seem like we made really any adjustments other than like, Oh, Hey, the patterns will work better. Cause now we've, we've got more time in the patterns. Like we didn't see a change of shape. We didn't really see a change of personnel. And, you know, I, I think you can justify not changing personnel based off of how that first game went. But then like, as the game progressed, I think all three of us were a little surprised that we didn't make any changes at halftime, especially given now that we have five subs. 
like, why didn't we see Perisic right away? Why didn't we switch to the four at the back at halftime? Why did we wait until, you know, 55, 60 minutes? Does any manager do that at half? I feel like we've talked about this through, like, four different managers, and, like, they all, I, I, I don't know. I feel like every manager I see makes those changes at, like, 55, 60 minutes. They never make it to halftime unless, like, I mean, yes, player, managers generally think that they're going to do a halftime team talk and their original game plan was a sound one. And if we could just, you know, retool it a little bit, you know, without necessarily new players, but just like some reinforcement of ideas and maybe a little a little tweak here and there and a little specific coaching, you can do better. And if you give it 10 minutes, it doesn't work, then you can mix it up. And like, I... I'm fine with that generally, especially for someone who has like a clear, like kind of philosophy about how he wants his team to play like Conte does, but it's a team, like Brian said, who did this to us like three times in the span of a month last year. Like we kind of already know what they're going to throw at us and that if the game plan's not working, it's probably not going to just start working, you know, on its own. And I think going into the game, it's reasonable to think, okay, You've had more time with the players. We're playing really well. We know how to beat this, you know, the kind of like structured pressing and containment setup that Tuchel uses. Now just go out there and be better enough to pass through it and move the ball through it. And we just flat out weren't. I mean, they contained us so well. You know, they pressed us every time we moved the ball out of the back line. None of our defenders were good enough at progressing the ball. Kane and Son and Kulishevsky got mugged in the back anytime they received the ball high up the pitch. And, like, we just could not play through that press at all. And the fact that it took till 60 minutes to, like, shake up the formation was, I think, pretty naive. Especially because it, like, well, and it wasn't it even immediately. And, and it wasn't even just, you know, that, that Kane and Kulishevsky and Son were getting mugged. They were just turning the ball over. I mean, especially Son, who just, who, yes, in fairness, did get mugged twice. Um, but a lot of the other times just couldn't figure out his touch. Like, was leaving the ball behind, was, you know, miskicking it he, left, right, and center. Like, it was, it was a really poor performance from him specifically. And I just felt like Kulisevsky was, like, largely anonymous during the game. Um, you know, it, it felt like, especially during Southampton, so much of the good things we were able to do flowed through him and his link-up play, and he just wasn't involved. Like, uh, you know, he had a couple times where he got on the ball and then, you know, just kind of dribbled into a cul-de-sac and did nothing. Um, yeah, he and, and also, Like, that's just yeah. not as involved as he needs to be to, like, make this team work. And, and I think the other thing um, in talking about the tactics in this game that, that you have to take into account is is we had um, that drinks break in both halves. And so Conte had like an opportunity in each half to kind of give like a little pseudo team talk. And, and I think you, you had that at 35 minutes or 30 minutes into that first half where you got a chance to like sit the guys down and be like, hey, we have to be better. This is not, like, you guys aren't playing well. And, you know, because I think with if you're a coach, like Ben said, you want to give that that team talk. And if you're like Conte where you have a system, 
if you just think the players will play better and you have two star players like Kane and Son who are playing objectively bad and you think, oh, if all they do is play average, this will work just fine. He had that opportunity in the first half and he didn't get it after his little his little pep talk during the drinks break. And so to me, that that coupled with the fact that you can now make five subs meant that halftime was a perfect opportunity to bring on Basuma and Perisic, for example, or, you know, Richarlison or, or whatever you wanted to do to mix things up slightly. Even, even if you didn't want to change the shape, you just wanted to keep the same shape with different guys. You had that opportunity. Yeah, and it's especially frustrating given how much of the story of this summer is we got depth and like really good depth that we really needed because our bench wasn't good enough. And it's important to have backups who can come in and, you know, improve the way we play or at least not like, you know, see a drop in performance and guys who can give us something different and like to wait till the 80th minute to make most of those changes is like, I, 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 I know they're not like super up to speed yet, but like. I disagree with that a little bit. I mean, he threw Charleston on in like this, what, 55th, 60th minute. It was, it was pretty early. And I yeah, thought that nobody else. Yeah. But even that I thought, you know, again, I would have imagined that you'd stick him on for one of our, attackers who wasn't firing at that point, but I, I thought that did have some positive results there, and you know, again, like, I got, and Perisic came on not too long after, he came on, like, the early 70s, if I don't remember. 80th minute, 79th 80? minute. Well, Perisic, I thought, was the one who made the real difference, but even with Charleston, I thought, really, I mean, it became a much more open game, which posed a lot of danger for us, and I think it's ultimately helped Chelsea score that second goal, but I mean, it created, it started creating chances. It opened things up. It wasn't ideal, but you know, I think he did react relatively early in the second half in a way that I thought produced some positive results. I mean, I think Chelsea was still sort of eating our lunch to a certain extent, but it got better, I thought. I mean, to the extent it, like, changed anything, it just, like, it allowed the game to be a little more open and back and forth, which, yeah, can favor us because we'd like to, like, move quickly in transition, and, you know, I think they took a minute to adjust you know, to what that new shape looked like and how their pressing structure was going to move around the pitch to control us. And I think they did struggle with that for a little bit. But, you know, we also left massive gaps. Like, the entire mm -hmm. left side of the pitch was, like, a complete void for Reese James to waltz into the box um, for that second goal. And, like, until the corner, I mean, we were getting hammered as much as we were creating anything. Um, like, it, it felt better because, like, we saw us move up the pitch at least. Yeah, well, I, think, I, I mean, I, that is an improvement. Still, I mean, that is an improvement. I, I mean, it's not yeah, ideal, but... Conceding the kinds of chances we weren't giving up. You know, we, we took a lot off the table to get that, and it worked out. On balance, like, we ended up drawing the game, and I can't be too mad about it, but, um, yeah, you know, I think we all feel a little bit fortunate to walk away with the draw. We should. I mean, we should. I mean, part of the frustrating thing is, like, Spurs created a couple of really good chances that, like, Sessegnon couldn't do anything with, Son couldn't do anything with, Kane scuffed a chance that he usually at least puts on target, like, if he doesn't score it. I mean, it was kind of a weird game in that regard. I don't know. It was such a... And it's kind of strange that it doesn't bother me as much because I don't think most managers can pull off what Tuchel did in this match. What Tuchel generally does to us. I think in a lot of ways he really has Conte's number. And, you know, I mean, I, Southampton is a team that figured out ways to frustrate us last year. And we, you saw what we did to them last week. I mean, I don't want to get too carried away because 
Southampton is probably going to be fighting relegation this year, or at least flirting with it. But at the same time, they're a team that gave us a lot of problems, and we really knew how to handle it. I, I'm, I mean, do you guys agree with that? Because I'm, I'm skeptical most teams can figure out how to do to us what Chelsea just did. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think, you know, Antonio Conte has a way of playing, and it he would not be the level of manager that he is if your average manager could figure out a way to nullify it in a way that Tuchel and Chelsea have been able to. Um I, I I guess, like I said, my concern is, you know, that this seems to be a pattern that is happening in these Chelsea matches and that we seemed not necessarily unprepared, but like unwilling to adjust our game plan, whether that was to play a different formation, play a 3-5-2, play, you know, a 4-2-3-1, just do something different to potentially... Um, prevent us from winding up in this situation um and like you guys i'm i'm still you know happy with the result but like the performance and the the game plan and everything are leave quite a bit to be desired yeah and i think you know a lot of this is fixable by having better players and i think you know we have some of those better players on the bench for this scenario like we talked last week about what our midfield is and you know when everything's working well you shouldn't really notice them because they're not really moving the ball they're just there like sweeping up to keep the ball you know in the other team's half um and in this match you know they were being asked to move the ball up the pitch a lot um, because of the way chelsea pressed and you can see very clearly their limitations in passing under pressure. They just couldn't get the ball forward. Um, and Basuma is a guy who is a much more robust, press-resistant midfielder who could maybe break through that first line of pressure and, like, turn the ball at field a little bit. You know, Sessegnon got absolutely steamrolled all game. You know, every what, his, what he did to Kyle Walker-Peters last week, he was very much on the receiving end this week. And, you know, you have a guy like Perisic in there, I feel much more comfortable about him just individually being able to move through that line of pressure, being able to beat a man on the dribble and like get into space. Um, you know, long lay for all his maybe defensive lapses can pass the ball. And Chelsea were affording our back line a lot of time on the ball to pass and nobody could find that, that outlet ball. And maybe he's a guy who can do that. So, you know, I think once we kind of get everybody in there who is probably going to finish the season as a starter, we might be able to cope with this kind of game better, but it does expose some of the limitations on guys who have a lot of promise like Sessegnon, but are just not quite at the level of Chelsea. Like, Reese James compared to Sessegnon is, is night and day. I, just, well, I think there's an element of it, too. I think you're right. You're, I think you're right about that comparison, but there's something about, I think has got Conte's number on some level. Like, I, it's crazy. Like, we, we've seen us play better than this against Liverpool and City, which is nuts to think about like because they're better teams than Chelsea I think but I mean I think you can just see it with the sort of tactical matchups that he's willing to do with Conte whereas other teams you know better teams are just willing to they're just try to impose their will whereas Tuchel is he, you know he does this thing where he's able to really inhibit our ability to progress up the wings and also sort of gum up our midfield in a way that 
you know, generally both of those things don't happen to us. It's like it's usually one or the other or neither. Right. And, and at the very least, it'll leave Kane or Sun free up further up the pitch. And if we can sneak one through, we're off to the races. And yeah, it was very organized in all phases of play to make sure we couldn't get the ball anywhere we wanted to. And that is hard to pull. And, you know, it's 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 hard to pull. And also, like, you know, I think Chelsea paid a bit of a price for it. Like, they were, like, they had all this dominance. I think no one would argue they weren't playing better than us. But at the same time, like, you know, I, I don't think it's a cool, I don't think it's just Spurs defending is the reason they didn't score more chances. Like, you know, they, they did not have people up top who could sort of deal with, you know, deal with all the ball progression they had. Yeah, I mean, I think we defended our penalty area really well for most of the match until it, it kind of opened up there in the last half hour. Um, I, I think the thing that, that I took away from this game is is just how much we need more passing in this team. Um, you know, I think our midfielders are fine. I've expressed my reservations about how samey they all are in the past like just having like one creative passer in this team would help like we have Kulisevsky who is um a good passer who who is good at creating chances but you know we don't really have a player that is able to create from deep or to create in central areas um, or that is dropping deep to link up with, you know, the defenders and then progress the ball forward via really good and and smart passing. And, and you know, like a Christian Eriksen, basically. Like, we, we just don't really have that anywhere near this team. And I really think that in games like this, we would benefit from be- having that player. Could really use a Musa Dembele. Yeah. <laughs> or Tom Carroll, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I love how, like, Spurs could win the league or win the Champions League and we'd still sit here and talk about Tom Carroll. <laughs> uh, you know, we have to stay true to the brand. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, yeah, but it's so strange because I think we could sit here all, all evening and really justifiably pick this performance apart, and yet none of us are really unhappy with it. Uh, because, you know, we did show passion with a P-A-S-H-U-N and, you know, grit and heart or whatever the fuck you want to call it, but we played really well, and, I mean, we didn't play really well. We dug it out really well at the end of the match in a way that... Yeah. I think it's very admirable, and I think it's really colored by the fact that we, like, so often against Chelsea, and this is not true, but it feels true, it, it seems like the thing that kept us from winning is we, we, we don't have that heart. We don't grit it out. We don't, you know, we don't pull out the, you know, th- that, that last-minute equalizer, and, you know, it's, just, it's God, it's a nice change of pace. Yeah, I mean, for us to concede the go-ahead goal to Chelsea in, like, the 80th minute would have been very easy to be like, well, that's that. We tried, we fought, and that's game. And we didn't. And that's that's huge. Way to go, us. What was that, Brian? I said the set-piece coach is paying dividends already. Yeah. Boy. Not on, not on defense, but... Uh, <laughs> no. 
Good call. Although, you know, maybe I gotta say. an attacking set piece, Coach. We don't know. We can't, we can't, who knows? That cool, there is an element of that cool volleyball where it's just like, fuck, what are you going to do about that? I mean, obviously you should mark, mark him. him. But... I mean, you should try to mark him, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, but. There was, he almost had that goal, like, he had an opportunity for that same goal, like, 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, like, the ball was just slightly too high he for also, him to execute. He almost, he also almost killed Raheem Sterling, so, you know, like, I mean, I don't know, it's, it's, I fucking hate Chelsea. I, I don't know about you guys, I, I, I don't know how much stock I'm putting in this match, and some of it's because it's at Stamford Bridge, and some of it's because, as I said earlier, I think... Tuchel is able to... I, I think he has Conte's number in a way that I don't think many other managers in the Premier League do. And I think executing what Chelsea just executed on us is very, very difficult. And I don't think there's a lot of teams that can pull that off in the way they just pulled that off. And it's a little frustrating that Chelsea can, given how they've had a little bit of a crazy transfer window. The important thing is how fucking pissed it made Tuchel. And like his post-match comments like you can see like a nerve twitching in his face he was so fucking mad and like that's that's worth three points to me <laughs> fuck that guy <laughs> i didn't realize just how much i hate it you know i don't think i really hated tuchel until like january like 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 i don't really have a strong feelings on him one way or the other but i really don't like that guy now we're so used to like you dislike managers who are just like like some variety of marine like, just unlikable shit. I guess, like, Pep is, like, kind of a teacher's pet or whatever, but, like, like Tuchel is just this, like, obnoxious nerd in a way that I feel like we have not, like, maybe he's a variety of what Pep is, I don't know, but, like, he's such a fucking apple polisher, and I, I don't know, it's, it's I'm so, he, he's such a, I, I think he's a really hateable coach in a way that we typically don't see. I feel like you just have, like, a personal distaste for most former Dortmund managers. I mean, first of all, they all suck, so that's, you know, an important point to consider. But fuck all of them. Yeah, I mean, touche. That's not how you pronounce it. It's Tuchel. Oh, my bad, sorry. (laughs) Ben, you you were saying about hateable managers? No, yeah, I mean, I just fucking, he, he sucks. He's just a turd, and, you know, he plays boring football on top of it, and he's just an unpleasant gentleman. Um, I just don't like his whole vibe. I don't know. Yeah, just just don't care for him. Well, this I is... do, like... Go ahead, man. Yeah, the whole look me in the eyes when I'm shaking hands yeah. thing, it's like, I'm like, Why? You know, well, I mean, obviously, I understand why in the context of this game. Yeah, but it's just like it's like, you know, man. I don't know. Just shake his hand, move on with your life. You can still be shitty in the press conference afterwards, but you didn't have to take it to this level. Like, all I know is this loser has managed like two clubs with an unlimited supply of cash, and it's never been fun to watch. Yeah, I mean the PS his PSG teams weren't that fun. I mean his, his Chelsea teams are boring as shit. It's like I mean he's he's very tactically astute. I think we just saw that, but you know, like what is the point of having a gajillion dollars at your disposal if you're not gonna be fun? Just gotta strangle the life out of a game, Craig. That's what winners do. <laughs> yeah, and of course somebody found receipts of Tuchel not looking somebody in the eye 
during a handshake after a game they lost. Like, you know, there's no there's no principle there. He's just I think it was bit. I think it was Sean Dyche that he didn't look in the eye. <laughs> Which is yeah. another person I wouldn't want to get in a fight with if I were him. Yeah. <laughs> another person who plays football like him too, so you know, it's Ugh, I don't know. I fucking hate Chelsea. I god I hate Chelsea so much. They're such a loathsome club, like So are either of you guys worried about um, Hung Min's son after these first two games? No, I mean, he's been through stretches like this before. I mean, I don't know. It's not like he's slow or something that makes you, like, worried about it. Like, he just doesn't look sharp right now, and I feel like that'll come eventually. He's too busy posing in his underwear and not focusing on his football. His dad needs to have a word with him and get him focused again. <laughs> you got definition, but lost his ability to put the ball in that. Is that what you're saying, man? Yeah, I'm saying he's too distracted by the glitz and glamour of his celebrity and forgot yeah. about the game. Yeah, maybe if he was less concerned about Tiger Beer and, you know, his smile, he would be more concerned with his first touch. Yeah, it's early in the season. We'll figure it out. Hopefully. I mean, we would have all said this we about... Charleston. We all would have said this about Kane, but, like, he scored a clutch goal at the end of the match, so, you know. Like, I think I it'll mean, come. It's crazy... It's crazy to look at it, but Kane ended up with, like, two or three shots and created three chances. His expected goals and assists were, like, most of our one and a half um, for the match. Like, he wasn't, like, very present in the game because of how, like, badly we were stifled. But, like, he was effective when he touched the ball. Like, I mean, he put that ball through for Sessegnon's chance. Um, obviously scored the equalizer. Like, listen, we've seen Kane play a lot worse than this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm excited about Perisic's uh, set-piece delivery. I think that'll be fun. Honestly, I think it's been really overlooked how good Perisic was when he came on. Like, probably because it was so late in the match. But, like, I thought he really improved us. And, like, you just see him, like, especially against less tactically astute teams. You know, I think, I think we have all slept a little bit on how good Perisic is going to be for this team. I think we've all been pretty effusive in our excitement over Paris. I don't know, man. I feel maybe maybe I'm talking about Spurs fans in general. I just feel like because he's a little bit older because we signed him so early. I think we've all slept a little bit on just like that guy's going to be really good when he's starting when he's playing full matches for us. Are you suggesting that people are more excited about you know 14 year old Destiny Udogi or whatever Udoge or however we're going to pronounce it? Udogi. Um, than they are about Perisic. Yeah, Ben, what's what's the word on on our, our newest signing from Udeze in Athens, Georgia? Oh, he got that dog in. He got that dog in? <laughs> got that U-dog in? U-dog in. Yeah. Um, I, the other signing, though, that I think has been the subject of conversation after this game, we talked about a little bit, is for Charleston, and there have been several calls I've seen for people for Son to hit the bench after some shitty performances and let Richarlison see what he can do and make Son, you know, nervous and have to earn his spot back. Do you think there's any I think that's reason ridiculous. on this earth to I, do something like that? No, like, if anything, like, let Son feast on some bad teams. I mean, here's the fact of the matter is, like, we're going to be playing Champions League in a few weeks, like, very soon compared to most seasons. Like, like we're we're absolutely gonna have games where like if he needs starts like that's where it's gonna happen like you know he's gonna be taking either midweek or 
other games so Sun can be nice and well rested for the Champions League or Kane even, depending on how it goes. I don't see a problem with waiting until then. But like I, like I don't think Sun needs to like worry about his place. But if you know if if uh, if Conte wants to have you know make an early sub in like the 55th or 60th minute just to give Sun a break, like I don't have a problem with that. I mean that's half the reason you buy a guy like. For Charleston, is so these guys can keep their legs under them. But I don't think Son has like lost his place in the team because he had two bad games, one of which was against a very well coached Chelsea team. I mean, our next four games are Wolves, Nottingham Forest, West Ham, and Fulham. And so, um, you know, those are some pretty good opportunities to to let Kane and Son just kind of play their way into into form and, and and like greg said we've got champions league there's going to be plenty of opportunities to rotate in some way shape or form whether that's one of kane or son dropping to the bench um for richardson i i i did really enjoy richardson's performance in this game though um i i you know he all he really did was come on and run and chase lost causes like he didn't do a ton of actual football stuff um but it was fun and, and you know the the housing at the end was was great as well um so you know i i am cautiously optimistic about what he might look like as a as a piece of this team i would like to see him get on the ball more and, and see kind of what he can do in terms of link up play or in terms of you know being in and around the penalty area and getting shots off. But, you know, because we spent a lot of money if all he is is a a hard worker that chases lost causes. Like, like that's great and everything, but, like, he he has to, like, do football things at a certain point. And maybe, you know, the last 20 minutes chasing the game against Chelsea isn't exactly the the opportunity that he was looking for for doing that. But, like, you know, I want to see it in the coming months. Yeah, I mean, it was, stage was set for his, like, Bergvine versus Man City debut, you know, like, that's what you really want to see. Yeah, I, I mean, think, worse I than Bergvine, too. There, I think if Kane hadn't been there for that header, Richarlison was right behind him, ready to put, tuck that home. I, like thought, three guys I thought, if only because of, possible. if only because of the celebration, I thought Richarlison scored it at first, because, like, he's the one who goes wheeling off the first, like, the quickest. You know, and you could see him. I think he was even just confused. So excited. Yeah. Well, I mean, God bless. Like, you know, he got he helped get. I don't know if he helped get Tuchel set off, but it was really funny. I mean, you know, like. Yeah. I was really confused because, like, you, like you said, Richarlison ran off, and then Kane ran towards him, and then like kind of like shoved him out of the way, and I was like, Kane, why aren't you celebrating with the guy who just scored? And then I realized that it had happened the other other way around. Yeah. I appreciate his energy. I'd like to see him more act. Just like I'd like to see what he can do. I don't think it's because I want Sun sat. It's just you know I kind of hope there's just a period of time where Sun needs a little bit of a break so we can see what he can do. But I think it's more likely to be as a sub than as a starter until Champions League starts. I mean, look, you know, Liverpool has shown us over the last few years that you can have three or four attackers that are all you know rotating and producing good performances, you know, together. 
Um, and, and I don't think it's unrealistic to hope for that out of our, um, our four attackers. Um, and so we just need to get all of them going. But I, I, Ben, you were talking about our depth. I, I was kind of heartened by our depth in this game. Like, I mean, it was maybe later than I would have liked, but like the kind of players we were pulling on the pitch was just, God, it felt like such an upgrade. Over, you know, And it wasn't as successful as I would have liked it to have been, but you looked at who we were pulling off our bench compared to last year. It was just like, you know, if nothing else, you were like, God, maybe he can make something happen, as opposed to like, I hope Harry Winks like accidentally heads a ball from you know, in Kudu from, like, the flank into the net. You know, it, it felt like, it, it, it did feel like more of a robust team than it had, I felt like, in this match. Yeah, I mean, again, I was happy with the kind of guys we were able to bring on. I was just, you know, hoping for them sooner. And if they're as good as we want them to be, I would like Conte to feel more comfortable bringing them on to affect the game sooner than he did. Um, but yeah, I mean, by and large, they were positive. I'm not mad about them. So how are you guys feeling about heading in the Wolves match? Well, I mean, concerned in that Ryan Mason will be our manager. <laughs> um, but Are you, like, I mean, actually concerned about that, or, you know? I mean... I don't, I don't know, it, like, in this capacity where he's only managing one game, like... I don't know how much it matters. Like, he's not actually coaching the team. You know what I mean? Like, Conte is leading training this week. He's doing all the match prep, like, whatever. Like, he's picking the squad. Ryan Mason is just there gesticulating on the touchline on match day. Like, I don't think it actually matters. Um, I think it's just good for my personal brand to be angry about Ryan Mason coaching. It is an important Uh, brand. Yes. Um, But, like, Wolves suck. Like, they're not any good. Um, you know, they haven't looked good so far this season. They, you know, they lost to Leeds and they drew nil-nil with Fulham. Um, Their expected goals were better than that for both games. Um, I don't know what that means. You know, Raul Jimenez is out again and they don't have a real striker. They've just changed this season from a back three to a back four. You know, if they're going through some changes, they maybe just haven't put it all together, but they might not be terrible. I think they might be. I think they might be in the relegation, you know, fight at the end of the season. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I think I think if you're going to not have Conte for a match, like, this one seems fine. I mean, it's better than if we're playing, like, Liverpool or Chelsea, for instance. Yeah, this I, should be a, a winnable game without Antonio Conte. I honestly might prefer to not have Conte for the next Chelsea match. Maybe he should try to get sent <laughs> off, um, you know, before we play him next time around. Ryan Mason sitting there with his fingers templed as he outsmarts uh, as he outsmarts Thomas Ducal on the sideline. Yeah, I think that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, kind of like how we wanted Jose Mourinho gone so Mason could manage the <laughs> League Cup final against Man City. Hey, we only lost one nil. It could have been a lot worse under Jose Mourinho. It's true. On that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Uh, ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Uspers. And Brian? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. 
You can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. That is Skipjack with a Y, and is, is actually with an I. Don't, don't put a Y in there. Uh, for Ben, for Brian, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.